You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. I want to say welcome to you all. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. A uh, couple housekeeping things. Uh, first of all, um, I've got a book giveaway. Um, actually, it's, it's Joe's books. Joe's, wave your hand here. Um, Joe's got some free resources out there. He's, he's uh, doing some house cleaning of his library, I think, before they move away, sadly. Uh, Joe and Melody are heading out to... South Carolina to go to seminary. Anyway, this is of all the books that he's giving away out on the table out there. This is my favorite. Uh, this is Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. And I really want everyone here to pick up a copy and read this. This is a great book. I hope, that, I hope you're endorsing it, but you're giving it away. So there's not some weirdness here, Joe. He's <laughs> uh, giving it away and I'm endorsing it. Um, no, this is a great book on what does it mean to understand God's Word and why God's Word is so important and so who can I throw this to? Anybody want this one? Oh, I saw. Is, is Patrick going to actually read this book? Okay. Well, you, if you make him, you make him read it when it's age appropriate, and uh, we'll, I'll be really happy. So, Patrick, you let me know when you read that, okay? All right. Great. Um, so, myself and a small team just got back last week from a trip in Ecuador, and we were there um, trying to infuse encouragement and training and love uh, and God's word and help for what does it mean to be healthy leaders um, into a group of about 30 men and women uh, Ecuadorian church leaders. And it was a really, really blessed time. Uh, myself and, and Tony Tucci got to teach and uh, we got to, uh, Laurel and Jackie got to um, just serve so well for the conference and make some really good food. And so just, man, so thankful that we get to go there. It was so confirming of why we go. And the, these men and women are so thankful that we would come all that way to teach and invest in them. And churches are being planted in Ecuador. There's a demand for more and more trainings. So like we could go down there once a month and teach and there would be a continued demand. That's kind of the thing that they're dealing with right now is how do they meet the demand of all these different places. There's guys coming for like 10 hours away, driving on a bus through the mountains to come to a conference. And so um, there's a demand for more of that. We don't know what that's going to look like, um, but we want to keep doing it. In addition, we got to talk with Claudio and Silvana, kind of our, our partner uh, church planters there. Um, and we got to work with them last February on a church-wide trip. And we got to plan a little bit for potentially what a next year's church-wide trip. So February of 2020, um, we would like to fill that trip. Uh, I think we're maxed out at about 15 people. But we would love for you to go. And February is a great time to head towards the equator right, in Madison, okay? And so just keep that in mind. If you want to bookmark the dates February 20 through 25, uh, there'll be a lot more information coming. Um, but we would love to have you go, to have your vision expanded for God's heart for the nations. It's, I, I would say it's one of the most underrated spiritual disciplines, making an international trip. You don't hear about that as a spiritual discipline, but I'm, I'm making it one, okay? I think you need to go. 
It's so good for your heart to just get outside the ethnocentrism of American culture and go and see what God is doing among the nations and what we're trying to be a part of among the nations. So I got to be careful. I'm going to start preaching a sermon that's not prepared for today. But just keep in mind, February 2020, we want you to go. All right? All right. Let's get into Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. We're going to be looking at verse 5. I have a reader today, right? Amy, where's that mic? Can you give Amy the mic? I'm sorry, I totally forgot that I have a reader. (laughs) Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, 5 through 8. My page turns. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is uh, God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises. We thank you for the assurance. We thank you for the hope that it gives to us. We thank you for the warnings that it gives to us. And so would you help us listen with ears to hear this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So in my 20s and early 30s, before moving to Madison, I was really focused on music. And I was a music pastor in various churches in my 20s and early 30s. And oftentimes in the band that I had, um, we had the opportunity to travel around and play and lead worship at conferences. And a couple times, I got to uh, help lead music at a conference where the main speaker was one of my heroes. Um, guys that write books, guys that are kind of podcast. They're kind of Christian famous, you know, they're like there's famous and there's Christian famous. Like these guys are Christian famous, right? Um, and like podcast famous and write books that a lot of us have read. And I have a memory of praying before the conference would start with like this guy who's a hero of mine. And I'm thinking, we're, you know, we're, we're huddled up and we're praying. And I'm thinking, okay, it's like my turn to pray and I got to make this prayer good. You know what I mean? Because if I screw up this prayer, what's my, like, my, my mentor from afar who doesn't even know he's one of my mentors from afar, what's he going to think if I pray bad, if I pray weird, if I say something theologically incorrect? Like I'm really, really like trying to impress. You know, have you ever been in an environment like that? Where there's someone that in your prayer circle and like, oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta make sure this prayer is all together. I got to pray well. Like, what's up with that? Like, let's be reflective on that. What, what's the deal with that? I, I think as I reflect on my own heart, that's indicative of a sinful heart. I'm, I am praying, but I'm thinking more about impressing Mr. Christian Famous with my prayer than I am about the God of the universe who hears my prayer. Like, how weird is that? How backwards is that? How much does that show that I'm so tempted to think about myself first? 
and God second. Valuing the, the opinions of people over the opinions of the God of the universe. Wanting to be seen and maybe subtly acknowledged in my praying. That's, like, that's backward, right? And that's a, a, a small slice, I think, of what Jesus is getting at in our text for today. Here, here's the whole point. What are the motives of the heart when we go to God in prayer? What are the motives of the heart when we go to the Lord in prayer? So when we're praying, especially if we're praying in public or maybe in city group, or we gather here with, with the musicians and the tech folks, uh, service host before church to pray. When you're gathered and praying in any kind of public environment where someone's going to hear you pray, what are you thinking? What are your motives? These are great questions that Jesus wants us to ask this morning. Not much has changed in the human heart in 2,000 years. And so what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is just as applicable then as it is today. So let's get into it here. Let me, let me read it again. Verse 5 of chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay, so right off the bat, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. See that in verse 5? So here's a question. Why are they hypocrites? Let's think about that. Okay, so when it comes to prayer, what do hypocrites do? Jesus says, well, here's what they do. They stand, right? You see that there? They love to stand. They're not seated. They want to stand up, right? So, Ben, will you, will you stand up? If I have Ben, my man Ben, ben here, if he stands up, all right, what do we all do? All eyes on Ben. That's just what we did. You okay, man? No, stay there for a second. Like, this is a posture that draws attention. If everyone else is seated and Ben is standing, and you walk in the room, you might be thinking to yourself, like, why is Ben standing? Right? Our, your eyes are immediately drawn to him. Okay, thanks, Ben. Um, it's a posture that draws attention, right? And that's what he's saying hypocrites want. They want attention. They want all eyes on them. Now, this passage is convicting to me right now because who's the only one in the room standing right now? Like this is a warning to preachers. This is a warning to pastors that stand up in front of people. Do you love to just stand up because I, eyes are on you? Or do you love the calling that God has given you? I mean, this, is, this is very convicting for me. Am I a hypocrite? What are my motives for standing right now? There's a warning here for me. There's a warning here for us. They also, look at it, they also love the important places. For they love to stand and, what else, pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Middle of verse 5. So in Jesus' immediate context, historically here, the synagogue for a Jewish audience was a place of prominence, a place of importance, a place of priority. 
So if you're standing and praying in the synagogue, that's a very valuable thing. That's a revered thing. He also says the street corners. Why would he say street corners? Well, the back side streets, there's not a lot of people there. But where is the hustle and bustle? It's at intersections, right? The intersection is where there's the most traffic. That's where the action is. It's like Jesus is saying to us, hypocrites like to stand up and pray at the farmer's market on the Capitol Square in Madison on a Saturday morning. A lot of hustle and bustle, a lot of intersections. That's where the action is in the summer in Madison. Hypocrites love to stand up, gather some folks around them, and pray real loud. A lot of attention. And then he tells us, look at it at the end of verse 5. He tells us why. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, important places, street corners, important places. Why? So that they may be, here it is, the verb, to be seen. They want to be seen by others. All eyeballs on them. Feel feel the darkness of this. Feel the, the utter sin here. Feel the hypocrisy, the irony here. What Jesus here is describing is using, it's like an appearance of religiosity. It's using God, this religious form. I'm going to use God. I'm going to use the God of the universe to get what I want. I'm going to use the God of the universe for selfish gain. Like it's always a sin when you use another human being as a means to your ends, right? We all get that. We all hate it when we're treated that way, right? When someone just uses you as a means to an end. But how much, how much worse when it's the greatest person in all the universe, the God of the universe, that we try to use for our selfish gains. You feel that? That's what Jesus is saying hypocrites do. The religious leaders of his day. I don't love God, but I do love attention and adulation. I love, I don't... I don't love God, but I do love the pat on the back for how spiritual I am. So I'll use this form of prayer to get what I want. I'll try to use the God of the universe to get what I want. I'll I'll fake it, do whatever I need to do, even making God a means to my ends. You feel how twisted that is? So you can start to see why, why Jesus would go so hard after the Pharisees in the Gospels. They're faking it. They're not genuine. They're not full of integrity. They were not above reproach. And, and these are the guys that are supposed to be the ministry leaders, right? These are the guys with theological education. These are the guys with all the letters behind their names. See, faking it in ministry at whatever level is so dangerous, so dangerous for people to be around. Let's think about this. See, it's, it's people who are supposed to be giving and leading and loving, and they're giving the appearance that they're doing that, right? And since they have a position of authority, oftentimes the assumption is, of course that person is trustworthy. They've got a title. 
But underneath it all is this sick idolatry. So in the... In our text for today, in the Pharisees' case, it was this idolatry of self. All eyeballs on me. I need attention. They want to be seen, verse 5. They want to have their ego stroked. They will use God, who they should be worshiping, to worship their idol of self. This is why, you know, kind of coming into 2019... This is why sex abuse scandals in the Catholic and Protestant church is so horrific. You got mainly men who use their power to deceive people, to get what they want. Like, supposed to be above reproach in all ways of life, and they're doing the exact opposite of that calling as shepherds of God's people. Like, it's the deception that's so dangerous and so damning if there's no repentance. See, when, when, the, shepherds, when the shepherds kill and eat the sheep, you got a real problem. See, see at least with unbelievers, the people that claim to not love Jesus, if they sin against you, that's going to hurt and that's real. But how much more when there's this crazy layer of deception that says, it's okay, you can believe me and trust me because I'm God's man, I'm God's woman, and I've got your best interest in mind, and then turn around and do the opposite. That's dark deception. That's dark faking. That's deep and dark hypocrisy. So unless there's deep repentance, it's just a matter of time. It's a biblical promise for the wrath of God to deal with that. So this is Jesus' warning in his immediate context to fake religious leaders and his disciples. He's saying to them, look at that. Don't be like that. The faking is so dangerous. The Pharisees, hypocritical church leaders, the deception, be warned. See, these are heavy words that Jesus says about the Pharisees. And he's saying there's a better way. There's a better way. But he's got one more warning. Look at the end of verse 5. Look at, look at what it says. He says, truly, I say to you, like this is as true as it gets. When Jesus says truly, it's a code for it. Listen up. This is true as it gets. They have received their reward. End of verse 5. What he's saying is that these guys are impatient. They're addicted to immediate gratification. They're going to get it. Immediately, it's immediately gratifying to have someone say, man, you're a really good prayer. Right? It's immediately gratifying to have someone say, man, I, I just want to learn how to pray from you because I've been watching you and you're, you're just a great prayer. Like that, there's some gratification in that. But Jesus is saying there's a better reward. Like you can get the strong letter of recommendation. You can get the pat on the back from the people watching you. But that, that's it. That's all you're going to get. It's temporal. It's fleeting. Wouldn't an eternal reward be that much better? I mean, think about it. Like our metrics are so off. We worship the temporal when the eternal is offered to us. Right? Jesus is saying, if you only knew what was waiting for those who love God and don't have to fake it, 
This is just Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared. That's a future orientation. What God has prepared for those who love him. See, immediate gratification will lead you to do crazy things. Like, like demand attention. But if by faith we trust God's promises, there's a reward waiting that will blow your mind. That's what the Bible says over and over again. You're slave to the immediate, that's all you're going to get. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? It's like, it's like inviting the Pharisees, is kind of what he's saying, is it's like you're inviting the Pharisees to a dinner party, and you're preparing a great meal, and you bring out the appetizer. And then there's five minutes of waiting before the main course is served, but they're, they're not willing to wait five minutes. They just get up from the table and they leave. And you're like, what, wh- why would you do that? There's something so much better coming. You haven't even seen dessert yet. This dessert's going to blow your mind. But they can't wait. It's got to be quick, immediate, or they're out. It's like you can have your reward. The appetizer was good, and yeah, it was rewarding. There's something so much better. You got to wait for it. Dessert's coming. Don't leave. The reward is coming. Look at what Hebrews eleven six says. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So, what does faith look like? Well, here's what it looks like: For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. And that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. Hebrews eleven six. God wants you to believe that he will reward you. Let's look at verse 6. Chapter 6. Now comes the contrast. All right, so we talked about the hypocrites. Now Jesus says, but you, this is what I want for you. Verse 6. When you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father, here it is again, who sees in secret will reward you. It's future tense, will. All right, so go into your room. What does that mean? It means no one's around. Go to your room by yourself. And just in case someone might stop by, I want you to shut the door. That's what he says there, right? So go in your room, shut the door. So what does that mean? It means there's an audience of one. There's only one set of eyes on you, the eyes that matter the most. Notice how he says, pray to your father. See it there? Verse 6, shut the door and pray to your father. See, this is the contrast Verse 5 was, you're praying, but you're praying for everybody else's sake, right? They're praying, but they're not praying with God in mind. Jesus is saying, just leave it between you and your heavenly Father. Just leave it between you and your heavenly Father. I want us to stop right here and just be thankful for how Jesus articulates this. That we can address God as Father. Jesus is highlighting here. Don't miss it. It's so Christian-y normal, but don't miss it. God is our Father. 
Doesn't that make the prayer more attractive? Like you could have used any word like pray to your king, pray to your supreme authority. Pray to the, the Lord of all. And those things are true, but he says pray to your father. Father, it has that connotation of intimacy, of caring, of safety. Father. Now, listen, I know many of you have had bad experiences with earthly fathers. And that colors how you, how you read the Bible when Jesus talks about your heavenly father. We have to preach to ourselves and remind ourselves when Jesus says father, what he means is all the perfection of what an earthly father should be. And that our heavenly father is. He's warm. He's welcoming. He's not impatiently demanding. He's gentle. He's strong. He will listen to you. He welcomes you in. So, so here's the question. Think about this. How much better is the pursuit of pleasure of our Heavenly Father in prayer than the fickle praise of people if we use prayer as a means to show off? Let me say that again. How much better is pursuit of the pleasure of our heavenly Father in prayer than the fickle praise of people if we use prayer as a means to show off? He is our heavenly Father. Being alone with him in prayer is so much better than being seen by others that we're tempted to seek praise from. Look at what it says. Your father is in secret and he will reward you. See, when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. If there's anything you know about the Bible, I want you to know that. If God promises something, he always keeps it. So you don't have to pursue getting the ego stroked, getting the pat on the back. That, that's flimsy, fickle, foolish, temporal, how much more should we desire to hear our Heavenly Father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a reward. Enjoy the joy of the presence of your Heavenly Father. That's a reward. Like we all know what it's like to want our parents' approval, right? My, my, my father has been gone. He died of cancer over four years ago. And I, pro I think I still probably have daddy issues in terms of approval and there's stuff in there that I don't even, I'm not even aware of. I've, I've no doubt that there's some of that still in my heart. But Jesus is saying, don't even worry about, like we all relate to like that need for approval from our parents, right? It feels like a demand. It feels like a need. And Jesus is saying, it's not a need. It doesn't have to be a demand because you have your heavenly father's approval. You have your heavenly father's approval. You got nothing to prove. There's nothing to earn. You can get off that treadmill. Just making you tired. The Lord will reward you as you forsake the praise of mankind and seek him and him alone. So just focus on him. Let the rest go. Go to him in prayer. He will reward you. All right, in closing, let's look at verses 7 and 8. What does it say? It says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That just means like unbelievers. 
For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we got to climb into the historical context here a little bit. We got to understand pagan prayer. So what he's talking about is pagan prayer, people that have a view of some deity that's not the deity of the Bible, and they feel like if they do prayer in a certain way, with a certain like mantra, a certain repetition, if I just plug in the right formula, then God will be the God, the little G God, will be obliged to answer me. Because I follow the formula. It's just a one-to-one connection. If I do it like this and I pray long enough, like after an hour, well, then I know for sure that my deity's definitely going to hear me and answer. It was, it was like a form of manipulation. It's like a calculation. If I just do A, B, and C, then the gods will be obliged to listen. It's like, kind of like a lucky charm. So it doesn't demand any heart. It just demands like doing it a certain way. If you rub the, 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 the bottle of the genie a certain way and say a magic word, then the genie has to come out, right? I remember when I was in high school, uh, before basketball games, uh, my coach always had us recite the Lord's Prayer right before we went out to do our warm-ups. And he'd always say, all right, guys, take a knee. And we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And I, I didn't mind, I mean, as a Christian... But I always felt weird about it because so many of the guys on our team weren't Christians. And it was like this just kind of rote, like lucky rabbit's foot kind of thing. Like we're just going to do this deal. Maybe it will help us and just toss it up there. Maybe somebody's listening. You know, it felt like what Jesus is saying here. Like it was kind of like empty words. There are many words. Empty phrases, verse 7. Now, now this doesn't mean that it's wrong to pray on repeat. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to pray long. There's a lot of biblical examples of that. Praying long, praying in public. But what Jesus is getting at with this whole text is the heart. What's going on in your heart? The why. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? What are my motives? Is it to be seen? Is it like maybe a meaningless Lord's Prayer before a basketball game if your heart's not in it? Is it like a lucky rabbit's foot? If I just plug in the formula, then God will be constrained or manipulated to get what I want. If I just follow some formula in prayer, then I'll just get what I want. Like that's what he's saying unbelievers do. That's what he's saying hypocrites do. But here's what Jesus is saying in, in, in summary. He's saying, remember, you have a heavenly father. And he loves to reward those that seek him. Not for selfishness, but for the gain of knowing him. For for believing that when I pursue my heavenly father, that is the reward. The presence of God is the reward. And he loves to give that reward. Because when you know him, you're going to glorify him. And the giver gets the glory. So he gives of himself, and he receives the glory, and we receive the joy. So he's saying, you have a heavenly father, and he will reward you. Remember those two things. He's not out to get you. He loves you. He will reward you in due time. See, if that's settled in our minds, right, let's, now let's start praying. Let that 
those two realities shape our praying. So if I know who my father is and I know that he's going to ultimately give me what I need and what I want because he's my creator. He knows me, so he knows best how to reward me. So then I can pray with no one around. I can pray with an audience of one. Because the gospel is true, now I don't have anything to prove in terms of who's listening. I got nothing to lose. I got no one to impress. I got nothing to defend. I got nothing to hide, right? So Jesus is saying, let's pray with that level of humility. The God is my father and he will reward me. With that level of honesty, again, I don't have anybody to press. Who cares who's watching me? Because I got my heavenly father who's watching me. That's all that matters. So God is calling us this morning to be this kind of praying people. And based on the authority of God's word, I say, let's go for it. Let's go for it when we have our monthly prayer gatherings in our city groups. When I quit worrying about who's watching me, that's when my praying in public will really be beautiful, right? No matter where we are, no matter what context, I have a heavenly father who loves me and he promises to reward me. Let that reality shape our praying, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it shapes us. Thank you for how it helps us. Thank you so much for the fact that you hear us as our heavenly father. We don't have to fear. We don't have to cower. We can be freed, Lord. Thank you for this word of freedom this morning to pray in a way that honors you. May it be so that this is, may it be so among us that that prayer is our lifeblood, that that prayer is our knee-jerk reaction to everything that we face, good or bad, whether prayer of praise, prayer of supplication, prayer, prayer for help, may it just be who we are as people. It's our first response in praying in this way that you love to have us pray in. Maybe so in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>